Brack Thumbnerthlets. My name is Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 27th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2080 Star Lord from November and December 1978, progs 89 through 93. There's no new thrills this week, but we're rolling with some existing, truly excellent thrills. Also, just kind of a programming note, only one prog came out in December 1978. In the issue, Tharg claims that an industrial dispute short-circuited the entire staff, which isn't totally untrue. My limited (laughs) research uh, shows that there was a uh, labor dispute in the later part of 1978, which led to a gap in printing. Exciting times! Womp womp. Also, I feel like I, I didn't mention this last episode, but one of the one of the other conceits about the production of 2000 AD is that everybody who works in the process of 2000 AD, be they sub editors or writers or artists or whatever, are all robots, even though they may be very human-looking robots. Yep. As uh, as time goes by in the Prague, we'll start to see more and more sort of of the inner workings of 2000 AD, which will include um, robotic representations of certain artists and creators from the staff, and then pinups of them as well. Uh, my favorite's always the one for Alan Moore, which even in like 1981 still has the big bushy Alan Moore beard on a robot <laughs> body. Not that we'd know anything about humans posing as robots, or right. Strike that, reverse it. Robots posing as humans. Shut up. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, here we go. Thrill one, Judge Dredd. Uh, All of Judge Dredd is written this week by script robot John Wagner, writing as John Howard. And then the art robots are Mike McMahon, Brett Ewins, and Brendan McCarthy. So, we start off... Dude, like right out the gate. (laughs) Yeah, man. Chief Judge Goodman is dead, stabbed to death by multiple unknown assailants, Julius Caesar style. Hmm. Judge Dredd comes to investigate, but he finds a bunch of SJS judges on the scene, which is unusual because they usually investigate judges and not Mm -hmm. like regular murders. (laughs) Dredd talks to Goodman as he dies, and Goodman passes Dredd something sort of secretly from hand to hand. Because of the vacancy, Judge Cal, as uh, chief deputy judge, is made, or as a deputy chief judge, is instantly made full chief judge of the city. And as he's coronated, Dredd checks out what Goodman passed to him a button from an SJS uniform. And in Blue's Clues fashion, he now figures out the secret. Yeah. The SJS (laughs) judges killed Goodman, and Cal was behind it all. Dread runs out to stop Cal, but as he does, he is shot in the head by Cal's right-hand man, Judge Quincy. Oh, it's really not great. It goes straight through his brain. Yep. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Walter calls an ambulance for Dread, and Cal, with a new very Roman haircut, gloats and starts showing sign of his trademark violent mania. When Quincy returns to to say that he's killed Dread, Cal congratulates him, but notices that one of his buttons is missing. And as punishment, Quincy must now go about his duties in just his boots, helmet, and underwear. Judge Cal is the law. 
and apparently super weird but yep <laughs> so in the next prog cal's getting super evil uh criticizing him as now an arrestable defense as we see a journalist arrested for a news broadcast critical of cal and then like the judge that arrests him go on t- goes on t- goes in front of the camera <laughs> and says everybody watching this show is also under arrest for criticizing I the chief judge this. just and remain like, in your homes and uh, yeah. judges will be will be by to pick you up and take you downtown just like yep all of you are going to jail now so cal declares himself the living law and the city folk cheer at gunpoint as dissenters are hauled off in big um like glass sided trucks that say they dissented on the side so amazing they criticize i should say but so uh the medical crews are working swiftly on judge dread he manages to come to and survive as he does he's immediately like his head still bandaged he's <laughs> carried to <laughs> the great hall of justice where cal names his new chief deputy uh judge fish which is actually a fish in a bowl yes it is actually a goldfish in a glass bowl with a badge bolted onto the glass um it's pretty weird Dread speaks out against this and Cal's general insanity and his murder of Chief, of Chief Good, Judge Goodman. <laughs> um, Cal has Judge Fish declare the verdict, which uh, is apparently death. Yeah. Judge Giant volunteers to carry it out, but instead he helps Dread escape and the two of them are now on the lam, the only ones trying to stop the evil Judge Cal. Dude, awesome. I love Giant. Yeah, man. So, Giant carries the wounded Judge Dredd to a bike, and the two of them make their escape, fighting judges as they go. Cal's livid, and the judges that allow them to escape um, basically try to avoid his um, like murderous rage by putting on funny clothes and saying that <laughs> this is the punishment given to them by Judge Fish. So, And Cal's like, well, I can't counterman the orders of my new chief deputy, so I guess this will stand and I won't kill you guys. <laughs> Which, super bizarre. By the way, Judge Dredd, just want to remind everyone, a bullet went through his brain. He's yeah, fine straight now. through. And he's still, he's running. Well, he's pretty groggy. I mean, Giant has to really carry him. Uh, and he does most of the escaping as Dredd just kind of clings to him on the back of the bike. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the manhunt for Dread goes into full swing with a one million credit bounty for information. And basically, everybody just starts putting in uh, fake claims to try to get the money. I mean, why? I would. Eventually, Dread wakes up as he's recuperating in the Academy of Law. All the instructors there, who are mostly just wounded and old judges, have agreed to fight with Dread against Cal. It's not much, but it's all they've got, and by Drock, they'll win. Uh, God, I really like Eyepatch Guy uh, from yeah, the ju- school. Judge Griffin or Chief Instructor yeah. Griffin? Yeah, man. Yeah, that guy's awesome. Griffin's real awesome. Um, Cal's getting crazier. He's basically just sort of looking in a hand mirror and threatening people, including <laughs> making a, a local mayor cluck like a chicken or die. Which is he- oh, pretty yeah. great. It's really great. Like, he's, he will not look at anyone unless he's really forced to. He forces him to jump, to, uh, cluck like a chicken and then says, oh, this guy's crazy. Take him to a padded cell. (laughs) Meanwhile, the people of the city are protesting against Cal and he has them violently put down, leading to one of my favorite 2000 AD panels ever, where an SJS judge has a club and he's beating a guy with it and he says, I brain you in the name of the law, which is (laughs) real good. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's such a good line. Calvin goes on TV and has Judge Fish announce a new law. The penalty for breaking it is death. And this paralyzes the city because they don't actually know what the law is. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dread, Giant, and the tutors from the Academy lead a raid on the Mega City One broadcast control tower to call for the city to resist. Uh, we end with Dread and Co. taking control of the broadcast tower and putting the call out for the citizens mm-hmm. to fight back against the insane dictator. As they do, a group of citizen citizens uh, comes to Cal, who's in his bathtub taking a bath at the time, and asks them to have their sentences of 10 years for littering shortened. Uh, Cal obliges by sentencing them to death, which, you know, is over real quickly. Yeah. And then he gets mad because they didn't laugh at his weird joke. It's true. Uh, meanwhile, the re, uh, these cows told that these citizens are revolting. You know, tell me something I don't know. <laughs> and he sends. Oh, that was that was a really well. good like side face too. Yeah, he's like, hey, tell me something I don't know. Super classic one. Um, <laughs> Dread and his guys make a push to on the central armory of Mega City One. There, they take a cache of weapons and start to distribute them to the to the revolting populace. Cal's forces seem to be on the run, but next time, the Clegs are coming. Jeez, that's ominous. The hell's Super. a Clegg? You'll find out, buddy. <laughs> it was you really know, good. Two episodes really from now. Good. Yeah, man. Oh. Um, the the comparisons between Judge Cal and the Roman Emperor Caligula are super o- obvious. Like yeah, Caligula exactly. made his horse a console of Rome and stuff like that. Same mm-hmm. as Judge Fish. All the you know took me to, you know heard people petition him in his bathtub. All that stuff. And yeah, fact, it's uh, it's pretty on the nose. Yeah, and I mean, in fact, a lot of times this these stories are actually. Uh, packaged in a in a in a graphic novel called Straight Up Judge Caligula, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. So, and and you had made mention that around this same time, um, you believe that I Claudius and the yeah two years yeah in seventy six I Claudius was a really big deal in the BBC, you know, and remains so honestly to this day. It's a really great show, and the yeah, character of, of Caligula suggested. is really neat and all that stuff. Yeah, so it it seems like it it is definitely coming out in a timely sort of way, but I think that's a little bit of what Judge Dredd is is becoming in some ways, right? Like some amount of commentary or at least usage of of the current times, inspiration. Yeah, uh, I mean, and I it, I really like it. Yeah, I mean, Judge Dredd's clearly like a commentary on whatever modern things happening at the time, like mm. real big time, real obviously kind of, you know. Yes. Uh, if yeah. there's one thing, it's not a very subtle comic book. <laughs> but I think this criticism of Cal and stuff works for any kind of sort of um, vain dictator that you could think of through the years, frankly. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, and It's easy to draw parallels between him and sort of other people who have abused their power and their positions of power and things like that through the years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like, I, I especially like that it just sort of, the whole kind of arc starts in blood right Mm -hmm. um just straight up murders goodman and then through the rest of it it's just lots and lots of people getting killed yeah man it's a super violent um thing you know kyle's first move is to sentence everybody to death and that's sort of how it goes you know yeah but speaking of violence (laughs) oh of course thrill two robusters 
script robot Pat Mills, and the art robots are Mike Dory, Kevin O'Neill, Dave Gibbons, and Mike White. Uh, and everyone's doing a damn great job. Mike Dory does two um, stories, but really it's almost a different artist every every prog for this stuff. It's pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's more of Hammerstein's war memories. After quickly uh, checking in on the other robot, on the other robusters <laughs> in, in the framing story, we yep. rejoin Hammerstein and his robo-racist blind sergeant in the war against the Volgans. <laughs> Uh, they uh, the pair steal a sweet snow tank from the Volg tr- troopers and try to make their way back to American lines. Along the way, they find a massive Volg offensive headed straight for the Americans, undetectable in the snow in which they're fighting. Sarge begs Hammerstein to kill him and then warn the U.S. forces because then Sarge won't be slowing him down and Hammerstein should be able to make it easily. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Hammerstein agrees, <clears throat> burying Sarge and then moving out. War is hell. It's really dark. He is, he calls out the fact that it's like he he basically gave him an order to do it because he was a robot, and because he was a robot, he was forced to do it, and he was like, I didn't want to do this. Yeah. But then spent an inordinate amount of time burying the body. Well, Hammerstein cool himself reflects on how he used to be so soft-hearted those days. <laughs> now he's a little yeah. bit more rough and ready. But this takes us to a big Volgan assault led by their elite super tank, the Volganya. Which is 100% a child's toy. I would have loved to have that. It's like a it's like a five-story tank that's just bristling with guns and awesomeness. Yeah. Um, Hammerstein's now part of a new squad led by Sergeant Country Joe Farmer. <laughs> and he has a wacky squad mate named Bomber Harrison who thinks he's a, a World War II fighter plane. And there's an inexperienced fighter named Babyface Brannigan. Both Farmer Joe and Babyface start off by saying what they're going to do when they get back from war, which means that they will die in the fighting of the war. That's just <laughs> mo- war movie rules. Um they're part of an elaborate uh, raid to take down the super tank, but it goes pear-shaped almost immediately. <laughs> Eventually, oh, God. Hammerstein manages to commandeer a fuel truck and drive it straight into the tank, causing a huge explosion. Uh, and in true Volgon fashion, like, a lot of Volgs die. And uh, it's a pretty big explosion. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Always a good time for Volgons to die a fiery death, if you ask me. Oh, of course. I, a, a good Volg is a dead Volg. Yes, absolutely. Always. <laughs> so, with the uh, super tank taken out, it's time for a little R&R in a safe zone. The other guys manage to convince Hammerstein to put on his secondary arms for laughs. But then they're attacked by Volgon jetpack troops, a.k.a. the uh, Vulture Aerotroopin. <laughs> I'm just going to say, those extra arms come in real handy when he has three guns in them. <laughs> Yeah, man. Uh, Hammerstein, three guns and a hammer hand blazing, leads the assault against the attacking Volgans. Although it so ends, awesome. it ends with Bomber Harrison using a jetpack to full effect, aiding his insanity of him thinking he's a plane <laughs> to take out the final Volgan assaulters by dropping two grenades on them because he's a bomber plane. He's doing a bombing raid, buddy. That's all he had to do. <laughs> It's so great. <laughs> so, so at the end of, of Hammerstein's memories, he and his platoon are sent by a fresh young officer to take Hellfire Hill. There's some super awesome uh, war action as most of the guys we know die in the assault. 
Um, I think Hammer, I, I think uh, Country Joe dies in like the, in a bottomless muck pool in the, in, yeah. in, in the trench systems. It's terrible. And uh, Babyface gets shot and he's like, you know, his plan was to go and help build the uh, burgeoning new city of Mega City One. He says, I'll never get yeah. to lay bricks on Mega City One now as he dies. And then we find out all of this work was for naught. Well, of course, now that they've taken the, now that they raised the flag on the hill, they find out that um, it's lost its strategic value. So they've basically taken this hill and lost all their friends, essentially for nothing, except maybe um, some medals that they don't care about at all. Soon afterwards, though, almost all of the human troops roll out and the robot troops roll in. And yeah. with Except for Bomber Hair, except for Bomber, he stays behind because, you know, planes and robots got to stick together because they're both machines. <laughs> and so we sort of end um, Hammerstein's memories with him sort of helping a new squad, a, a, a new platoon that he's the sergeant of, of robot troops sort of assemble themselves and prepare for war. Mm. With the flashback over, Rojaws and Hammerstein are called to help Miss Marilyn, who is the sexy human secretary of the Robusters. Um, she asks about Rojaws' history, and now it's time for his sets of flashbacks. Which uh, Mike Dory then does his awesome ability of, of drawing homeless people in dark landscapes. It's true. This is a weird, um, like, 60 years later version of uh, the Mach Zero story with the hobo army. <laughs> it's a replica, man. It's great. It's time for it. Yeah, so in Rojas' memories, it's his time as a sewer droid. Back then, he was a real up-and-comer in the um, waste disposal industry, even getting compl complimented by a local MP, um, Sir Neville something or other. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it all goes bad when Rojas meets an old homeless dude named Old Scratchy. Uh, Rojas would take him the good bits he found in the garbage until one day he finds old Scratchy really down in his luck. Rojas takes him to the MP's house to get some food, clean clothes, and then the two of them go to sleep in the master bedroom. <laughs> when <laughs> Sir, Sir Neville returns home he, with his wife and finds this going on, he freaks out. He chases off old Scratchy to go to an old folks' home and he sends oh. Rojas to a robot retraining camp. Uh-oh. It's really not great for these guys. Yeah, well, you know, it's an interesting sort of story. Like, you know, you got some more about the Volgon War, which is really neat. And now we're sort of seeing oh, yeah. some, like, how robots were dealt with in this sort of world in, like, the 20s. I don't know, like, maybe 60s or 70s or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting stuff, although, honestly, again, like, like we kind of said last time, this backstory stuff is maybe less interesting <laughs> to me than newer stuff, you know? Absolutely. I mean, like, I, I'm i grateful for the characterization, since I, I like them both. I mean, I haven't met a character in Robusters I don't like, and so it's it's nice. Yeah, but I I'm just like to, to see, see them do the robusting. Yeah, I'm interested in new robusting. We're going to be on ham in, in Rojas' memories for maybe another month or two, you know. Good lord. I'm ready for the new stuff. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking well, of both new stuff and really, really old, 200 million year old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thrill 3, Flesh. Oh. And Fluff. Flesh is written by Jeffrey Miller with the art robot, of course, Massimo Bellardinelli. 
doing amazing work. So we open up with bit with Big Hungry destroying a flesh sub in a parody of like the poster for Jaws with mm-hmm. submarines sort of near the surface and Big Hungry swimming up from beneath them to uh, crack the whole thing open and just eat all the human beings inside. He's out for the blood of humans. It's really awesome. Meanwhile, Claw Carver and Captain Svensson clash aboard their ship. Carver explains that he's got the gold and they agree to team up. But then it's battle stations because they come across the subs being attacked by Big Hungry. A couple subs get, or one sub gets destroyed by one of the giant uh, fish nets, which means that, like, this sub suddenly gets full of, like, splash full of water and just fish flying everywhere and stuff. It's really neat. Um,. Uh, and Carver orders Svensson to pursue and try to kill Big Hungry rather than try to save survivors from the ships. Otherwise, um, Svensson is also a, a smuggler because that yeah. will come into play later. Yeah, but basically uh, Carver's realized that he left his gold on Big Hungry's island. So he's got to take care of the beast before he can actually get his treasure. Really wish you hadn't killed his babies, huh, man? Uh, you know, sometimes you just got to kill babies, I guess. That's how people know you're evil. <laughs> um, so Svensson, Carver, and the crew follow Big Hungry trying to kill it. Eventually, they chase it into an in- underwater cave where once inside, the ship gets damaged and starts to take on water. Carver abandons a bunch of the crew on the bridge and sort of closes this, like, uh, unopenable hatch on them, basically <laughs> dooming them to, to drown to death. Only one guy on the bridge, Peters, survives by swimming around the ship to an emergency airlock. But Carver's now in command of the ship, and Peters uh, swears that he's going to take Carver down for trying to kill him. But damn, is Peters handsome. Mm, super duper, man. Super dreamy. He's got the dre- <laughs> the handsomeness of heroism going on for him. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. So the, the third prog opens with a multi-page dino fight between... Oh. Big Hungry and a massive Tanstrophius, which yeah, is a big, long-neck thing. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> In the end, uh, Big Hungry triumphs, and he sort of, he's forgotten that he actually had kids at this island. He just remembers that there's something on the island that was valuable. And so he ends up snagging Carver's gold and swimming off to it for someplace safer, but also in parts unknown. Oh, no. Meanwhile, Carver consolidates his rule aboard the ship and is shown by the crew to an illicit time travel base elsewhere in the sea. (laughs) And since it's got its own time machine, Carver's stoked because now he just has to get his gold and go home. Although, we (laughs) now know that it won't be that easy. Nope. So, as industry continues at the Atlantis base, there's also illegal uh, pleasure fishing going on here in uh, 200 million years ago. Uh, It's the shot that they use for the opening is just this weird harpoon missile going through a dinosaur's neck. Yeah. (laughs) It's rad. Carver's found one of their bases, and some tourists arrive, and Carver agrees to take them out to hunt some flesh, but then immediately abandons them to the jaws of Big Hungry. He's really good at having people get killed by dinosaurs. Oh yeah, he'll he'll let you. He if you want to die, be, be killed by dinosaurs. Just hang out with Claw Carver for like fifteen minutes. Mm. Uh, he goes to check his gold and sees that Big Hungry has taken it, and then things get rough because the blood of the tourists has awakened the giant scorpions. 
Which what? <laughs> uh, Prog ninety three, the last Prog here. Uh, the oh. cover is one of my favorite uh, two thousand AD covers, <laughs> and it's just a bunch of dudes uh, neck deep in water as a giant scorpion advances on them, and it's just a guy shouting, "No, please let me drown before the giant scorpions get to me." <laughs> oh. And it's real good. Never change. <laughs> I mean, it can't now. This is the past. <clears throat> oh. But so, man, yeah. Giant scorpion attack. I think this is really... Um, one of my favorite parts of the original flesh was when suddenly out of nowhere a bunch of giant spiders appeared and just started yeah. killing everybody. <laughs> and it and, doesn't have to make sense. And this is a pretty similar thing where just suddenly something happens and there's a whole new threat that no one expected. That's sort of... Uh, an, ar- a- a- um, an arachnid, basically. <clears throat> well, it's just like once you write yourself into a corner, you're like, ah, what do they do now? It's like, oh, I know, fuck scorpions. Yeah, so they're scorpions, all right. Um, they yeah. kill everybody aboard yeah. the ab- aboard Svensson's boat completely. <laughs> they kill all the illegal t- uh, t- uh, time travelers. They kill everybody. Oh. <laughs> they kill everybody except for Peters and another crew member named Old Ben. The two of them row on a raft back to the Atlantis base, where they try to finger Carver as the man responsible for all the death and destruction. Unfortunately for them, Carver has arrived at base first, and it's Peter's word against Carver as Ben has gone mad from all the stress. So, um, so I've got something for you on this one. You mm-hmm. ready? Yeah. Either Carver is a uh, one of the progeny of, or is future Unk, but has tapped into utilizing the power of dinosaurs. <laughs> Unk, the uh, friend of Shaco and traitor to the human race from that yes. story? Possible. Because if you uh, notice, he is the harbinger of all the things that kill everybody. <laughs> definitely. That's definitely what uh, Peters thinks. You know, he gets sentenced to uh, double to work double shifts aboard the base. And then he sort of wor- worries, like, now that Carver's turned big, hungry, and the scorpions against humanity, what'll come next? And we end flesh this this month with the uh ending bug of next prog doomsday <laughs> oh man i'm really excited flesh is really panning out yeah man flesh is a super fun there's all these monsters there's all these like monsters killing each other and stuff and then crazy action and intrigue <laughs> and things like that it's a it's a little deeper story than last time just because with mm. claw carver taking a central role um, his treachery, you know, he's got way more chances to be treacherous and lying and stuff, <laughs> as opposed to when he was just there as a counterpoint to the more honorable Earl Reagan. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I think it's a good change. I also don't think that it it's paced too slowly. I feel like every um, every page has something pretty nuts going on with it. A um, little bit of story and then someone getting set up for getting killed or a kill happening yeah man flesh is moving at a fevered pitch frankly <laughs> i love it i love it so much um they're just like blasting their way through killing everybody and stuff it's awesome <laughs> i just i love the shot of the guy just screaming as a pincer is about to be just snapped across his neck not the pincers <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, it's real good. <laughs> but no. speaking of things that might not be that good, 
No. Non-thrills, nerve center, letters, and road jaws and hammersteins laughing. Damn, one breath. Doing my best, buddy. In Prog 89, uh, Tharg posts some errata and extra rules for the Cursed Earth game, which we've saw the rules uh, posted for over the last couple months. Uh, mm-hmm. Letters writers suggest an idea for a Tharg musical called Carry On Tharg, which seems to have some King and I vibes to me at least. Another yes. gives some information about black holes that's pretty clearly just copied from their copy of the encyclopedia. Yes, um, I'm pretty sure. <sighs> Also in 89, it's the first part of the interior diagram for the Praying Mantis ship, which is the uh, ba- the uh, the uh, ship of the Robusters when they do Robuster stuff, which we have not seen in 2000 AD yet, besides these diagrams. And to be honest, this one's a lot more reasonable for a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you, like the lack of beds and bathrooms makes more way more sense here because it's a ship full of robots, and so they don't need either of those things. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, the Rojas and Hammerstein Laugh-In, which is the secondary letters page, has a complimentary letter about Mechquake, which is not a wise decision, and a picture of a judge eating a sandwich, Judge Spread, which I think is pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> then finally, there is a sweet AF diagram of Judge Dredd's Lawmaster bike in the at, at the mm-hmm. end of the, of the prog. It's got missiles. It's got lasers. It can go 570 kilometers per hour, which is 350 miles per hour in American units. I just want a motorcycle that looks like that. Yeah, it's super cool. It's super like big and chunky and stuff. It's basically um, like Space Marine bikes in uh, mm-hmm. Warhammer 40,000 are just they just took this um, picture and just did that for 40 years or for the last 30 years basically <laughs> correct in a uh, prog 90 thark mentions guy fox day and there's a letter featuring a call for short stories wit- written by readers and a suggestion of a perfect art team for a prog which i think seemed pretty reasonable actually um mm-hmm. and finally for fair pricing between the earth and interplanetary prices in individual progs Tharg says that while there's inflation on Earth, prices have mostly stabilized in the rest of the galaxy. Um, There's more Praying Mantis in Frog 90, this time for the rear section, which is the Sea Space Module. Um, Also, apparently, all the guys in the 2080 offices have made a uh, life-size Hammerstein module. It's really cool. Yeah, it just sits behind a desk and they take pictures of it and stuff, which is kind of funny. Um, (laughs) Yeah. There's also, in this, a sweet diagram of a uh, hunter-killer submarine from Flesh. Mm. In Prog 91, the opening nerve center is mostly a commercial for the 1979-2080 annual, which we covered two episodes ago, and I would not um, advertise for. Uh, No. there's, There's a blueprint for the Praying Mantis fighter craft. And then Rojas and Hammerstein reenact the final scene from Greece with Rojas as Olivia Newton John. Oh, and then it's finally, pretty weird. Yeah, and then there's a uh, full-color star pinup of the Gronk from Strontium Dog. Oh, my hearts is... Uh, he's, uh, he is the Walter I wish we had. Yeah, man, the Gronk is, is, is pretty cute for, like, a cowardly rock-eating space monster. He's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In uh, Frog 92, Tharg is on the cover this month, and I believe it's the first solo Tharg cover. 
In the letters, there's an attempt at trick photography to make it look like a spaceship flying through space, but it looks real crappy, just sort of in the newsprint pages of 2000 AD, <laughs> in my opinion. Correct. Uh, there's also more requests for more Robo Hunter and Dan Dare, and they will restart in Prague 100, eight Progs away. Finally, nice. there's a diagram for the Praying Mantis Plague Pod. How many parts are there of this goddamn <laughs> ship? <laughs> Then there's some moderate robot jokes in the Laugh-In this week and, and a 2080 quiz that is easy-peasy if you're a Space Spinner 2000 fan or just in general because the answers are on the same page as the questions and they aren't even upside down or anything like that. <laughs> I mean, it's true, you know? Why even put in the time and effort? If you aren't going to, I mean, at least if you put, make the answers upside down, man, like make it a, an effort to read, to yes. look at them. <laughs> but instead it's just like, uh, we'll just fucking whatever. Yeah. In Prog 93, again, it's the, uh, no, please let me drive before the giant scorpions get me cover, which is the greatest cover of all time, or one of them at least. The nerve center is mostly people saying how awesome Prog 86 was. Agreed. Yeah. We're finally done with praying mantis diagrams, and in a laugh-in, there's both a highly questionable drawing of Judge Dredd and a terrible joke about the most explosive singer in the pop world today, Olivia Neutron Bomb. Oh, that's so bad. I, I, the picture of Judge Dredd looks like he's made out of worms or fingers. Yeah, I don't like it very much, I must say. It creeps me the fuck out, actually. Can we yeah. not look at it anymore? Sure. <laughs> so. Yeah. Hey, speaking of um, punchlines that might not land. <laughs> <laughs> Thrill 4, Future Shocks. Some of these aren't bad. They're, they're, they're all kind of funny, but they also are all definitely like, here's this punchline, guys. Uh, <laughs> First one is written by Mike Curtin with art by Trevor Goring. Uh, there's a kid. He's playing with blocks. His parents call him, and it's time to go home. It turns out that the thing he was building with the blocks was Stonehenge. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> Uh, next up, they're uh, written by Barry Clements with art by Charles by, by uh, Carlos Pino. There's a dude, he's flying a spaceship. It crash lands on an unknown planet. Some human-looking children find his body and get him help. After being operated on, he finds out that this is a world where everyone ages backwards. So all the old, all the grown-ups look like kids, and all the kids look like grown-ups. So they think he's just a baby. Ba -ba -ba. <laughs> This was done in Star Trek. <laughs> um, finally, in, a, in, in, a, in another one written by Mike Cruden with art by Mike White, a time capsule is buried in 1984 and uh -oh. survives the uh, coming near complete death of all humanity and in the inevitable wars to come. Centuries later, a new civilization has arisen free from war and disease. The time capsule is found. Um, warned against it, a lady scientist opens it, and inside she finds hella germs and stuff from the 20th century. Oh, gross. She's unleashed a deadly plague on the future. Nice going, Professor Pandora. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I literally spent the whole time waiting in the last one, just waiting for it. All right, when are they going to call her Pandora? When are they going to say that's her name? <laughs> come on. Come on. Let's do it. Here we go. And it wasn't until the very end. They literal box to open. It's solid, man. These are good future oh. shocks. They, I'm really glad that uh, they've decided to go with On the Nose. And also hilarious. I mean, this is sort of a, it's just become so over the top that it's like, who even, you know, who cares? <laughs> you know? The more schlocky it gets, the better. Um, I, I didn't hate Future Shocks this month, so that says something. <laughs> no, man, they're a, lot of, they're a lot of fun. It's just like, it's also like, okay, like, this is the choice <laughs> we've made? Fair enough. I'm ready to go with it. <laughs> Hey, someone had to make that choice, I guess. Absolutely. Hey, speaking of making hard choices, through five, Strontium Dog. I love this comic. Uh, This month's Strontium Dogs, all written by John Wagner under the alias of T.B. Grover, and the art robot is Carlos Escara. Oh, interesting thing. I feel like in previous times I've been I, I, I haven't been clear about um John Wagner using various um pseudonyms and stuff. Mm. He uses a lot. I guess it's a, from what I've been able to read apparently like management didn't want to make it seem like half the progs in the book were being written by one guy or or half the thrills were being written by one dude, John Wagner, you know. Right. Um, but he writes a lot of this stuff. Wow. And All right. I'm trying to do. I'm going to try to do better about sort of shouting him out as the author of these things, um, and not his weird pseudonym. And not his weird pseudonym. Like, I mean, in this one, he's listed as both T.B. Grover and um, John Howard because he wrote both Strontium Dog and Judge Dredd this month. You know, <laughs> jeez. So I guess it's you know it's like um. In like early cartoons and stuff, I always think you see, or mm-hmm. like you see one name over and over again in the credits because it's just like yeah, it's just like this these one or two dudes making this whole show, you know. Yeah. And so I think 2000 AD as a big company is trying to avoid that look. You know what I mean? Ah, uh, to see like they're being a little cheap or something. Yeah. So they're like, all right, like Wagner, like use a bunch of different names, then hide <laughs> yourself. Pretend to be more than who you are. Exactly. Excellent. So, where we left last week, uh, Wolf Johnny and the Gronk had been <laughs> kidnapped by the Wolrog, a race of warlike bulldog-faced aliens. In the basic, you know, they'd been assigned to their penal legions, and as part of the introduction of that, um, half the recruits had to fight the other half to the death. And so, Johnny really? and Wolf been what? I said that's and it's pretty horrible. Yeah. So Johnny and Wolf have been chosen to fight to the death, and they are in fact mid fight to the death. Wolf is about to kill Johnny, but then he gets stunned at the last minute by a Woolrock officer because he's like, "Hey, these guys are both pretty good. Like, there's no reason for them to kill each other. Just keep them <laughs> around." Much to the chagrin crazy. of the evil sergeant uh, Kark. I still love that name. It's good, man. Uh, Johnny explains to Wolf that he's sorry for, like, egging him on, but they had to make it look good, because if they tried to fake it, they'd be caught out and killed, basically. Yeah. So, now we start a bunch of sci-fi basic training, during which Kark insults the Gronk, and Johnny Alpha defends him, and the two are about to show down, when suddenly, it's battle time. So, uh, hey, Conrad. Yeah. Let's say it's, like, it's battle time, right? Right, always. And uh, and we got to attack this planet because everyone's got their own little missions. You know it. 
Okay, so let's say we land on the ground. What do we do then? Well, uh, me and my buddies, I guess, sort of pair <laughs> off and go on our, on our own thing down into the tunnels deep in, inside the planet we're on, right? Oh, okay, so there's a bunch of these planets, like, or uh, tunnels underneath the thing. Like, do you find people there? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, if we find, like, alien um, officers and stuff, <laughs> here's the plan. Okay. We kill all of our guys. Whoa. And then offer to help out the guys who we were supposed to kill. Okay, well, that's The sounds... enemy guys. Yeah, no, that sounds pretty good. I mean, like... They're going to obviously see that we're trustworthy dudes, and then we can, you know, go with them instead of going back to, like, the murderous homicidal guys. Maybe we can even get out of here, right? Yeah, that's super the plan until, as we are hypothetically leading our new buddy, the San- buddies, the Sandorian um, officers, through these underground tunnels in the planet, they all get killed um, by a Wolrog patrol. Luckily... And let's shift the hypothetical here from our hypothetical (laughs) selves to actual Johnny Alpha and Wolf. Um, uh, The Sandoran officer slides Johnny a uh, set of plans that will allow him to defeat the Woolrogs forever. Oh, snap. Unfortunately, they're written in Woolrogs, so Johnny doesn't know what to do do with them. (laughs) Which I think is fair, honestly. That's fair science fiction. I, this is part of what I love about this um, comic so far, is that they're just exactly who they say they are. But so, basically, at this point, Johnny and Wolf, Johnny, Wolf, and the Gronk probably could escape through the big underground tunnels of this planet, but they, but Johnny figures that there's no real freedom if they escape and then the Woolrogs conquer the galaxy. So... There's no choice for it. They've got to go back to the Woolrogs to give them a better chance to contact the Sandorian Empire with the plan to defeat the Woolrogs once and for all. It's complicated, buddy. Yeah, man. War, you know? I don't know what to tell you. So they have to turn back, and here they are getting back onto the ship. Yeah, so (laughs) Johnny and Wolf, uh, Johnny, Wolf, and the Gronk get rejoined the Woolrogs. Sergeant Kark is very suspicious of them. (laughs) <laughs> we spend some time back aboard the ship with everybody toasting their victory. The Woolrogs sing an awesome Woolrog drinking song. Yeah. We are Woolrog. We are evil. We are nasty. We are foul. We bring fear and we bring terror. Strong men tremble when we howl. <laughs> Anyhow. I like that in their song, they call themselves evil. Like, oh, we're the bad guys. Man, they know they're warlike, bulldog-faced aliens. (laughs) They know what's up. (laughs) They live it up, man. So Johnny and Wolf and Gronk basically knock somebody out and drag a trash (laughs) trolley and then make their way to the ship hangar to escape. Hey, uh, Conrad. Yeah. If you were in a ship hangar... And we're trying to figure out how you were going to escape. What kind of ship would you use? Uh, I would take the fastest ship available, which would be a um, human-piloted suicide nuclear torpedo ship. (laughs) That looks like a (laughs) sweet-ass bumblebee. What happens if someone tries to stop? As Johnny Alpha, who makes a similar choice to me because he's hella smart... um, (laughs) 
as they try to start to chill the ship, they're caught by Sergeant Kark. The two of them fight the sergeant and get knocked out, and only intervention by the Gronk, who overcoming his fear to grab Kark by the leg, allows Johnny to get the drop on him and throw Kark into some power lines, which he he pierces with his Freddy Krueger glove and is electrocuted and dies. Great way to go. 10 out of 10 would throw again. Yeah. So now it's time for everybody to get on the big uh, explosive explosive ships and fly <laughs> to their <idea>. destiny. <laughs> so uh, they, the oh good. Well, I was gonna say it weirdly comes in handy actually. They this is a setup and a payoff moment. Yeah. So the boys steal the nuke, but are seen in the process. The warrogs give chase and at one point destroy an entire planet that's in the way of their view. However, this allows. Uh, our guys to hide in the debris from the planet, and the Woolrogs once again show that they are evil by killing the soldier that made the mistake right at his console on the ship. <laughs> Eventually, our guys find a Sandorian craft under attack by a Woolrog ship. They get into spacesuits and send the Nukepedo flying to hit the Woolrog ship on a dead man's switch, destroying it instantly. The Woolrogs yes, yeah. are beaten, yeah, and our guys are picked up by the Sandorians. Once they're picked up, we finally actually learn what the plan is, which is that <laughs> the um, leader of the planet um, has apparently made a cloaking device that will allow a fast ship to get close enough to the man-made factory planet of Rog to be able to destroy it, which will cripple the war the Woolrog war machine. Um, after some deliberation, Johnny and Wolf agree to be the ones who will actually deliver the bomb. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, they make the they make the drop onto the uh, onto the man-made world of Rog, or I guess Woolrog. Me, I don't know. I don't know who made the world actually. Um, <laughs> and they and they drop and, and they plant the bomb that'll make the planet destroy, that'll make the planet explode. But as they do, they are attacked by Woolrog space troops. Oh next snap! Up. They've got laser rifles. Oh yeah! Next, Prague nuclear blowout. <clears throat> so strontium dogs, and what I love about it is like regardless that he is this bounty hunter guy and you don't really know like you're starting to get what what um his morals are yeah like for the most part he tries to help people out he's not he's not a complete han solo character but you know he also is really out to save himself he doesn't want to die he's in the middle of all of this he yeah. has motivation but he's I'd not being that- a total I say that he's actually pretty Han Solo, just in that while his greed and like wanting to save his own skin drive him to be heroic, um, mm. his first notion isn't to be heroic, it's just to save his own skin. But then eventually he's like, well, but I can sort of see enough angles that I guess I have to be the hero once again to just be able to preserve our life, our, our, our way of life and freedom and stuff. Like our personal yeah. freedom. Yeah, exactly. Thief with a heart of gold, kind of. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a little rough just because, you know, here we're seeing him be kind of heroic and do all this stuff. In the Star-Lord comics, there's a lot more sort of bounty hunting and being a little bit more ruthless and things like that. Awesome. No, I'm glad to hear it because, like, I figured this was a bit more of a detour since I now know that we have some backstory that I haven't had yet. Yeah, so, I mean, both this and Robusters, like like I said last week, are just sort of in really weird, like, this is how you are introduced to these characters <laughs> situations. Yeah, and, and I'm okay with it, to be honest, because the sci-fi in this is really great. It's not mm-hmm. on, like, you know how screwball Dan Dare can get uh, in terms of, like, 
how I don't know, like sci-fi, like biogs and shit, right? Sure. Um, that's that's a little bit on the deeper end of like fantasy. With mm-hmm. this one, it it is literal fantasy in space. It is science. It's science fiction fantasy. Yeah, right. I, There's some I'd weird bulldogs and stuff, and I don't know. Everything just flows a little better. Everybody's a little bit more characterized. Um, actions. People people do things uh, because they're smart and it makes sense. Like it isn't just like oh, it's a planet full of body snatchers. Guess we're blowing it up. Right? <laughs> like sure. It's, which and I'm not saying that those that's a bad thing, but damn, do I I love this. It's yeah, like man. there is a giant army at at their doorstep, uh, and they gotta fix that problem. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So here's the question, Fox. Mm-hmm. November, December, nineteen seventy-eight. What are your top? What's your, what's your top thrill? What's your top bottom thrill? Strontium dog. Nice. Like it's it's so damn good and so worth reading. And that's to say, like you know, obviously, flesh is a very close and dear baby um, to my heart. I'm still letting this one grow on me. I'm not a huge Claw Carver fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not as though Judge Dredd is in any way bad or that Robusters is terrible or anything like that. It is just that Strontium Dog is really fucking good. <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> they're not even doing the cool stuff yet. They're not even like, I'm a barbarian man doing barbarian things. Or I'm a guy who can see through walls. We got a glimpse of that. And this is just their characters figuring out situations without their stuff, right? Like, yeah, I say that's very powerful. Nice. So what's your bottom thrill this month, Fox? Um, not counting future shocks, which wouldn't be the bottom anyway. It's uh, it's going to Robusters again. Mm. Um, and and Flesh by a hair missed it. Uh, only because I, like I said, Claw Carver is not my favorite guy. I think it's a good thing that he's in this. It's just that the uh, his foil hasn't really come around yet. And I don't even think he is. Um which would be really unfortunate because Flesh is sort of about that back and forth. But yeah. with Robusters, it's like, get me the fuck out of these flashbacks, please. Like, they're good, and I like them a lot. I just, is there more? Or is it just a bunch of robots talking about their lives? Yeah. <clears throat> um, my top thrill this month is Judge Dredd. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Judge Cal, yes. buddy. <laughs> it's, this is it, man. He made that fish chief deputy. He made that fish <laughs> chief deputy. They're braining dudes in the name of the law. I don't know. Oh, this is like high high level Judge Dredd right now. Uh, oh, and, and consistently, at least in nearly every shot, is the judge who is uh, naked in his skivvies. Yeah, like they're really keeping a lot of consistent side characters with guys like Quincy and stuff showing up constantly and things like that too. It's real good. Uh, bottom thrill, I gotta agree with you. Um, Robuster, it's not that Robusters is bad. Um, it's that it, they've sort of been, for me, they've been dealt sort of a bad hand with how they're starting, yeah. just with all these flashbacks and stuff. Um, they're good for establishing the uh, the characters, and I love seeing the end of the Volgan War and stuff. Um, yeah, it's really great. But in the end, for me, even though I've actually, you know, I kind of went back this weekend and read a lot of the old Star Lord um, comics and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just still not earned enough to kind of sort of spend five to spend like four four or five issues on the backstory of Hammerstein, and now we're going <laughs> to spend like five issues 
on Ro- on the backstory of Rojas. Like, I just don't know these characters Ugh. enough to justify hearing about their early days when I, you know, to... Like, I, I haven't seen enough of their current days to justify hearing about their early days, you know? Yeah, exactly. It's like, you can see that there's these interactions going on on the outside, like, with Mechquake being this, like, really creepy person with Mr. Uh, 10%. Uh, yeah, but being, we barely seen those characters yeah, in this exactly thing. and it's it's obnoxious i want to see them do some stuff like they they talk about that this unit sucks what sucks about it you guys get to yeah. like talk about the past a lot and just chill out and Seems. like yeah and it's just really frustrating to have for like four weeks of here's the diagram of this cool ship and we haven't actually seen that ship <laughs> yeah. in um in action or even at all you know, no, it's like, agree. just show me, just let me see more, you know, and we're, I'm hoping we're going to get to that pretty soon. Um, but for now, we got to go through these memories a little bit more. <laughs> I gotcha. Mer. Yeah. You know, you gotta, sometimes you gotta eat the salad before you can get to the, uh, to the steak, you know, Ugh. but <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacespinner2k. For everything else, just search for Space Spinner 2000, and we should be there. Tune in next time for our second Spinny Award Show episode, this time oh, covering the thrills and progs of 1978 if you've got a favorite uh thrill or story from 1978 i'm i know we'd love to hear about it um otherwise we're just going to give our um best thought our uh top picks our categories Mm -hmm. are best art best story best overall thrill best month of 1978 and then best year overall of 2000 ad don't think anyone's gonna be too surprised by that last guy. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. Um, so until then, it, it, so whatever. Get your uh, gold tuxedos on. I know I'm gonna wear mine. And um, <laughs> yeah, this guy gets classy, buddy. <laughs> until next time, I'm Conrad. He's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Spud Dugworth Rig. <laughs>